0: More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at Sojourntulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We will be um, in chapter four. So if you want to turn your Bible there, if you have a device that you open up, um, or also we have the um, verses that we'll cover are going to be on the screen. Um, so we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter four. Again, we've been going through this, uh, chapter 3 and 4 and 5 kind of build to this culmination um, and some of the, the richest beauties that we could see we've been covering. And um, this week, um, we're going to see um, three main points, and um, I'll um, start out by showing those. I think we've got the, uh, a slide that shows the three things that we'll see today. First of all, um, just this proclamation that Paul goes into, a proclamation on his trust and hope in the resurrection, um, and that's our, our resurrected life with Christ. Um, that he, he's, he's saying, I believe this, I'm proclaiming this, that I have trust and hope in the resurrection. Um, and then secondly, um, we, we get the, great, the greatest treasure, which is God himself. And out of that, he gets worship and glory. So you, so you see two things happening there. We get God, and then God gets worship from all of us and so we're going to see how those two things fuse together and then the third thing is we do not lose heart because God is renewing all things we don't have to lose heart because God is actually renewing all things and 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 the, the the paradox of this section is that it doesn't seem like it so we look around our world and we think it doesn't seem like it we can look in our own lives sometimes and feel like it doesn't seem like it um so let me um, start out. Let's, let's read. If you'll turn with me to your, to your Bible or to your device, you can look on the screen. We're going to read uh, chapter 4. Now let me say something up front. Um, this section, um, 4.13, he introduces this idea, and it actually goes on through the beginning of chapter 5. You, you might not notice it in um, our English version, but... Um, and when you go into chapter 5 there, um, where you say the words for, for we know that if this tent is our earthly home, and then you go to verse 2 in chapter 5, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. And then 3, if we if indeed putting it on, and verse 4, for while. All those fours there, um, that in verse Five, chapter one. I mean, chapter 5 verse 1 and, and verse 2 and verse 4, that's all tied into this section, but I wanted to keep that um, into chapter 5. Remember when they were writing, when Paul was writing this, he didn't stop at the end of verse 18 and go, next chapter 5 uh, and then put verse 1. He, he wasn't doing that in the Greek. So the, this idea continues, but the reason that they separated that in our Bibles, um, going back to the King James even, was because um, in the Greek and Hebrew, and as they would do that, there were not um, the paragraph breaks. A lot of times there was not any kind of punctuation, like we have periods and um, uh, you know exclamation points and things like that, and commas, they didn't have that. So this idea is going to fit into the rest of chapter 5, but he's building through this. And we're, we're taking all the way back from chapter 3, and we're getting into chapter 4, and I'll walk us through a little bit of that, but we're going to be reading 13 through 18 in chapter 4. Um, And so here's this main idea he lays out. And then he goes into those fours. Um, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things are the things that are unseen are eternal. So Father, we pray that you would um, bless the reading of your word. Um, we ask, the Holy Spirit, for you to open our eyes to see the beautiful depths here. We ask for you to bring those 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 welcome gifts of, of conviction of heart. Um, The welcome gift of a need for repentance, a need for confession. Would you bring that to us to help us see our need for you? And out of that conviction and need for repentance and confession, would you bring renewal, renewal, as Paul talked about here, in our inner being? And then we would rest in what Christ has done. We would rest in the work that you've done, and we would turn that into worship as we see in these scriptures that we would rest and then rejoice in you and you alone. In your name we pray, amen. So um, the first thing I want us to see there is this this aspect in verses 13 and 14 of Paul's proclamation of trust and hope in the resurrection. So um, Paul is tying together, so let me go back and let's let's bring chapter 3 and 4 together as we've walked through that. If you go back through there, um, where Paul had talked about previously the Old Covenant, and he was talking about the ministry of the Old Covenant, which he actually said was a ministry of death, and it was um, coming to nothing now. So we think about that and that seems like wow all those Old Testament rules, all those Old Testament laws like you know De- Deuteronomy and Leviticus like sometimes you read those if you just happen to do the old hey you know today I need to get up and read the Bible today I need to spend some time with the Lord and you just do the old I'm going to open up the Bible and point and close my eyes and point and like you end up in like a Leviticus 16 or something like you're wondering do I need to go and kill my dog and like take the blood and like drag it around in a circle three times in my yard? Like uh, if I go if I go over a quarter of a mile today, is God going to like rain down hailstones on me? And so like there's some weird things going on in some of the Leviticus, Deuteronomy, some of those laws or rules. And so... Um, a big question that most of us have is, you know, how many of those apply to me during my life? And so in, in the New Testament, it reveals all that was pointing to Jesus. It wasn't based on all those Old Testament rules. It, it wasn't that. And it wasn't that God was saying those were like silly or that those were not needed. It was supposed to actually show you how high God's righteous standard is and how far we are separated from that in our sins. And so you could never keep all of the laws. You would never be able to. In James it says that if you've broken one law, one command, you've broken all of them. So it's kind of like when Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount, that famous part where he says, Hey, um, if you've, um, you've heard where it said that, that if you murder, you're facing judgment. Well, I'm telling you, if you've been angry, it's the same thing. Man, that, well, that's tough. Hey, if you've committed adultery, you're facing judgment. Hey, I'm telling you, if you've even had lust in your heart. So, so do you see what James is saying? Like, oh, if you've broken one of them, you've broken all of them. And so the old covenant was never meant to save. The old covenant didn't have the old covenant didn't have the power to save us and transform us. The temple and all those rules, what was it pointing to? Jesus. He's now the temple. We read in Revelation where there's not going to be a temple like that in heaven because we have the Lamb of God, right? There's not going to be a sun. Why? Because Jesus and his glory, the brightness of Christ, the brightness of God is going to be like the sun and moon that we have. Those are just temporary lights for this earth. Um, Do we have a sacrifice in heaven? No. Jesus is the temple. And Jesus is the sacrifice that laid his life down on the altar. And so Paul had walked us through in chapter 3, that old covenant is not bearing on us. We don't have to keep those um, rules and laws. That it was actually a ministry of death. And so it was leading to uh, us to see sin in our lives. And so um, as we saw that, Paul's tied together what he and his own crew had experienced in this ministry of reconciliation. That's what he called it in chapter 3. That by the mercy of God, if you start back in chapter 4 at the beginning, remember that, look in verse 1 there in chapter 4, therefore having the ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And so he's thinking through, if you have this perspective, thinking through the mercy of God in your life, thinking through all that Christ has accomplished, we don't have to lose heart. Having been renewed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, he opened their eyes to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, so saying, if you've understood the gospel... If you've understood the central message of God, that you have been separated from God in your sins, you would never be good enough to keep all the rules. You could never earn your way back to God. Where all other religions say, yes, keep the rules. Work your way towards this God. He says, I come and I lowered myself as a human and I died in your place on the cross because you could not make your way to me. You couldn't be good enough. You couldn't be holy enough. You would never work yourself to me. In fact, you wouldn't even want to. You just want to be your own God, self. And so through all of that, they've placed their faith in God. They see the mystery of Christ's death, how it's brought life to them. And that's what they believe and proclaim. He says in verse 13 there, what we're looking at, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. So now, let me give you a uh, a little helpful thing. When you're reading your Bible, particularly in the New Testament, if you come a place apart, just like in this, look in verse 13 there, if you see it, it's on the screen, notice the quotation marks. Where Paul says, since we, have seen, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. So now he's talking about something that's been written beforehand. When you see quotation marks and you're just doing your own study in the Bible, you've got to stop and ask, where did he get that from? So sometimes um, that, that's a quote from something, uh, particularly in the New Testament. A lot of times it's speaking of an Old Testament passage. So when you see quotation marks like that, it's, it's usually pointing to an Old Testament passage. You can kind of look. There's usually a number or a letter, and it shows you where you can go to the, in the Old Testament to find that. Sometimes they're even actually talking about um, something that's extra biblical. Sometimes there were um, well-known mantras in, in those cultures or regions, and, and they may quote that. Even sometimes there were philosophical ideas that they will quote, and they're just and they're comparing and contrasting that. Like, well, the world says this, but actually, here's what we know about God. And so, um, just know when, when that comes up, it's a quote. Um, where does this quote come from? This one comes from Psalm um, 116. I almost said 16. So, it's Psalm 116, verse 10. And so. Um, Here's the specific quotation. It says, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. So let's look at verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, think of that idea, the same spirit of faith, what is faith? We have this understanding, this new belief in something that we can't see. And that same spirit of faith that the Old Testament writer who first wrote that in Psalm 116, the same spirit of faith that he had, Though I'm going through affliction, though I'm going through hard time, I spoke and I believed. Paul's saying, we are doing the same thing. I believe in this message by the same spirit of faith, according to what that same um, writer understood as we're going through afflictions. Because Psalm 116 is, is a, a psalm where the author is having faith, trusting in God even while he's going through much, much affliction. So as we look at that, um, Paul's saying that he's affirming the same spirit of faith, the same belief in confession, um, according to what had been written by the writer of the psalm. The same spirit of faith that motivated the psalmist was having trust in God. Now think through that psalmist, maybe a thousand years earlier, maybe 2,000 years earlier. Did that psalmist, the guy writing the Psalms, did they know of uh, a God having a plan of what we're about to celebrate in in the Christmas season. The angels in heaven, those Old Testament people that wrote those books, they did not have any idea that God was going to come in the form of a baby as a human in a manger, did they? They did not know that that little Jesus, baby Jesus, was going to grow up and, and be a carpenter for 30 years and then go into his public ministry and start healing people and telling people, The kingdom is now at hand. It's me. All of that, all of that Old Testament, it's me. You're going to see me go and die on the cross for your sins. Repent. The kingdom is here. Repent. The kingdom is here. And that was his message. They they had no idea. Think of the Old Testament guy versus Paul. Think of the light that Paul has understood. It was Jesus. Jesus. All of that was Christ. think through the grace on our lives, like we have heat and air conditioning, we have comfortable chairs. these are probably the most comfortable chairs you could ever imagine. Um, we have this wonderful, beautiful aesthetic place to meet in um, we had we had uh, just you know nice, warm clothes compared to them, and we had the light of the gospel we 've heard the gospel many many, many times, and we even reject it many times and yet. Paul's saying, look at the the life, the hope that we have, the life in the resurrected being. So Paul's affirming the same belief in confession. Notice uh, that Paul has his rest in the the resurrection of Christ. He understands it's Christ's resurrection. The psalmist didn't even have that piece of the uh, the puzzle. The psalmist did not understand that with clarity. So Just a beautiful thing. Notice the end all purpose there also. First of all, notice this the corporate togetherness Paul has in view. So if you look there in that verse, he says, um, He is going to bring us with you. Paul's writing to this Corinthian church. Remember, they had not liked him for a while. And so Paul is saying, trying to get back in the box with them, He's going, He's going to bring um, us together with you into his presence. So there's this corporate aspect in Paul's writing also. So as you're reading the New Testament, you would probably be shocked to find out that Christianity is not our Western individualized idea. It's it's a very communal, um, corporate thing that other countries, they don't struggle with this. So you guys know, um, I'm I'm from Salisaw and so I'm white. Um, Jamie, our family's Mexican. And so when I... um, started being interested in Jamie and started liking her and started going around her Mexican get-togethers, it was very, very, very different. Everything is family. Everything is rejoicing. This person could have, like, stabbed your tires and, like, killed your cat last week, but we're loving each other and hugging each other and having lots of food and fellowship this week. And so there's this, there's this communal aspect. All over the world, many places still operate this way, where there's this, this close-knit togetherness. And so that's, if there's any place that should be happening, shouldn't that be the church? So when you see cultures that, that, that treat one another that way, that, that love one another that way, that, that, that rejoice in, in what God has done together, um, we should be that in the church. Paul's saying, um, this is what God's doing. He's bringing all of us together in his presence. And, and notice the end of that. The end goal of that is that we would get God himself. The end goal of salvation. So, so many of you may have thought through, what is the whole purpose of God saving us? Salvation. Is it to be in in a place that just has really nicer looking outside standards? Last night we were driving around and and just if you saw the sky outside, beautiful sunsets. And Jamie literally was going, that's some of my favorite colors. Just just the beautiful, um, created glory that God had displayed up there in the sky. It was just incredible. It's amazing that God just does that. His creativity, his artistic ability, just for our sake, just for us to enjoy that, to point to Him, and so when, when you look at that, um, heaven's not just going to have prettier skies. Heaven's not going to have better fishing places for you to be reunited with, reunited with Grandpa, and just fish better. It's not going to have just better food. What, what's the point of heaven? What's the, what's the focal point of your salvation? What's the end goal of getting you saved? What's the end goal of you growing in sanctification? What's the end goal of a resurrected body? It's God himself. You're brought back into the presence of God himself. And it's not going to be like you go to a fireworks show here and you're really let down. Like, have you ever done that where you spend like four hours preparing, you get to this thing, and they do like seven minutes you're like, I could have done that in my backyard. You're not going to be walking away like, oh, man, if this is day one in heaven, wow. Is it, how long is this lasting? This has been miserable so far. I'm really, really let down. You're, it's going to be awe and glory, and this this idea of glory, Remember, it's a weighty, intrinsic worth that, that not only illuminates light, something brilliant, but something weighty in the heart, as if you were almost standing by one of those huge bass things where when, when it beats, you could hear it. That, that's like that. You don't go stand outside in a huge thunderstorm in Oklahoma. When the, when the tornado sirens start going and it's thundering and light, you don't go stand on a hill going, wow, this is just incredible. I feel so safe here. You, we run like cowards. We're like in little frady holes. We we build you know ten thousand dollar cement things because we are afraid of the sounds and the noises and the power of rushing winds of, of the sound of those things. And that may be parts of like I don't know Tuesdays in heaven may just be loud crashes and thunder and stuff. And like and you're, like you don't have to be afraid. You're not going to die. But it's going to be something just huge and just beyond comparison. And so that's what. All of that is going to be with the focal point of God himself. Not the surroundings, not God and all the benefits. Yes, there are going to be blessings, no sin, beautiful things, great experience, but but he is going to be the focal point. And Paul's saying, God himself, in the resurrection, we get him. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, he says, since that's true, our greatest treasure, God himself, we get God, God gets glory. Notice in verse 15, it says, For it is all for your sake, Paul says to the Corinthians, so that as grace is extending to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So that's what we've been singing about this morning. Grace and peace. Um, Paul keeps reminding them through this letter that all of Paul's own sufferings and all that Christ has suffered is for their good. It's all for your sake. Um, So, big question that pops up here. We've got two subsets. Uh, There's many more, but if you just two big subsets in Christianity. So a couple of ways to look at this. Um, This idea is everything for God's glory or is everything for man's good? So you may not have even thought about that before. So there's a whole section of Christianity, a whole section of Christianity, that it's all about me, me, me. God God saved me, and so God fill me up. God make me feel better, and me, 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 me. And so the songs I sing are just me, 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 what God is doing for me, 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 me. It's never really about what God gets out of the deal. So is everything that God has done simply because God loves and values mankind so much you may not have thought about that so very, very much before. Um, there's a whole subset of Christianity, screaming this. It's such a focal point on, on mankind. You're so special. You're the reason God exists. You're so special. God loves you so much that you're the reason God exists almost. Like God was bored and lonely and weak, and he had to create us wonderful humans. And now God has something to look forward to every morning. And that's not it at all. Um, but then sometimes we flip it. Or is everything God has done only because God wants to glorify himself? There's a whole other smaller subset of Christianity screaming this. Um, so which is it? Um, we can, we can make the mistake of creating two ditches on opposite sides. One side being about God's love and pursuit of man because man is so important, man is so huge. And we tend to think that way because that's us, right? Like you tend to think of your own well-being naturally. Um, and then this other ditch over here, it, it's about God's love for his own glory. Well, we've talked for the last couple of weeks about God's glory. Don't, um, so it is not two separate ditches but think of it instead as one beautiful stream, okay? Don't fall into the wrong camp of thinking that you have to choose one of those when God holds both of them together. The ultimate end goal of God himself is that he would be treated as God, that he would be treated as God himself, that he would be treated with the honor and the glory and the respect and the awe and the worship that he rightfully deserves. So God's glory is the very highest end goal, okay? Okay? Um, that may be new for some people. You may not have realized it, that, that your Christianity for a long time, the songs that you listen to, um, the way that you read the Bible, is kind of a me, me, me. What do I get out of this? How's my day going to go, God? How's this? God, will you help me with this? Me, 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 me. And not looking like, oh, it's all for his glory. As verse 15 says there, as, as grace extended, oh, grace hit you in the face, and you received it, and you got saved. It's coming to more and more people. The, the gospel came to you on its way to more people. So that what? The end goal would be that God would get glory, that God would be worshiped and praised. It's not about you. It, the universe is not about you. It's about him. For God to elevate humans as his number one thing over his own glory would be for God to bow down and commit idolatry. Think about that. You may not have thought through that before. that. For God to elevate humans... And I, w- I, would, I would estimate, uh, Tim and I were talking before the service, that secular humanism, the philosophy of secular humanism, it has impacted the church so much that to where that is the main message. You, and let's put some God language in it. You and your God-ordained purpose. A lot of churches want some life points, three life points on you and your God-ordained purpose. If you just do this, you're going to experience your, 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 Do you get that? You're going to experience this if you do these things. You see that? Very subtle shift. What's the focal point? If God exists... To, to, to make our feelings the, the utmost thing so you feel loved and special and important and for for you to for you to be the utmost thing in God's eye he would be bowing down and going that's the number one thing and God would be an idolater he would be sinning God can't do that so the number one thing is God's glory God was already in eternity past always completely glorified he did not create out of a lacking need they didn't spend 10 billion years in eternity past when there was no stars or universes or anything, and then they just were like, "Man, oh, this is getting kind of boring. I'm kind of lonely, uh, man." The father, like, "You're you're you're pretty nice and everything. You get a bad rep, but um, you're pretty boring sometimes." And I, I I wish we could just create something to play with. Let's create something to play. And just out of boredom or a lacking need, that they, they created that. That's not what went on. It was only out of God's love and His graciousness that He decided. You can look in Ephesians and see what his purposes are. So some people get hold of this idea of God's glory being the number one thing, which is true, that he exists to glorify himself. So if you look at the Westminster Catechism, and what's the chief end of man? What's the, the, the end all purpose for man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify him and enjoy him. We talked about that for the last couple of weeks. So that would have to be kind of the end goal of God also. It's not. What's the end purpose of God? To make humans happy? To make sure you have enough money? There's people, 70% of the world, never will have enough money, right? So that's not it. To to, to make sure that your feelings are utmost? No. His glory is there. So he lives for the chief end of himself. He has to. But in a reaction, in a response sometimes, in the American church mainly, mainly the American church, you know, 3.8% of the population, um, People have wrongly placed man as the center of God's purposes, um, and some have gone so far teaching that God doesn't really love mankind that he just has to kind of tolerate us. So thinking uh, Christianity has become this thinking man's game instead of a love affair where you keep being reminded that you're the harlot. So it's this thinking man's game versus you being the one in Hosea. If you know the story, every day, man, God, why? Why would you do that? I'm going to do it today. I'm going to do it today, God. I'm going to betray you or tomorrow in lots of little ways. Why would you keep loving me? Why do you keep pursuing me? I'm just like this harlot. I keep on doing my heart is bent that way. Now, I, I, we could be a church where we say, hey, we don't do that, right, church? We're Christians. We don't do that. We love the Lord, don't we? We, 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 we act like this. We do this, right? I'm assuming you're all living that because I want you to believe I am. We would never be those bad people, right? Like, we could be that kind of church. We're just not going to. And so um, we have to keep in mind that instead of this thinking aspect where we've raised theology to the point where we've we've erased God's love, um, that's the wrong side of the most beautiful and exquisite truth and reality that God wanted us to see. That despite our sinfulness, God still loved us so much. And he loved his glory so much that he gave us himself. If there was a guy in prison for murdering and, and doing unspeakable things, the, the worst things that you could imagine, like a whole Netflix series, like, you know, 18 episodes... And then they said, "Hey, we're letting him out, and we're giving him the riches of the Amazon owner, of 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 the the, the highest riches and the highest position. This guy who is the murder. Think that's what God has done in, in a degree we can't even imagine. So." For most of you, that may be a shock that people would get off on this type of thinking. But, but, but we've been in some circles where um, it's been said, you know, God doesn't love you. God loves his glory with this kind of big, savvy, theological wrong, yet, yet self-righteously proud smile. See that, God? I told them they were so foolish that they thought that um, it, it was about themselves. I told them it's about your glory. It's foolish, ridiculous people. I, I set them straight. I told them you didn't really love them. You, you just had to tolerate them. It's not either or, it's both. Clearly, God's glory and majesty existed for eons before the Godhead ever even decided to exist, I mean, to to create the world and the universe that we now know. His glory was the highest glory whether man was created or existed or not. It was not a threat to God's glory to say God loves us, to say God loved us while we were yet sinners. So I don't know what happens if we, get, if we take good writing about solid theology and we take it too far, and now we're to this point where we're like, well, God really doesn't. I mean, he just loves the Jesus covering you. You've missed the whole point. John Owen and, and, and Jonathan Edwards would say, you, you, I don't know if you're saved. You've missed the whole point. That's what they were trying to say. Uh, it speaks even more of his glory. While you were yet sinners, he shined the light of his glory and gave you the light of his glory. We, we just but you know what? We don't see ourselves. No matter how theologically savvy you are, whether you're weak and man-centered or, or strong and God-centered, we still don't see ourselves as the harlot who should not have had glory poured onto us and grace poured onto us. After a while, we like to start thinking differently. We like to start being proud of how much we know and, and how much that we can talk about these little categories and creating boxes. Some people think that God enjoys them more. God is pleased by their thoughts more, that they're more correct by thinking that God loves only his glory and is barely tolerating us. In an attempt to be more theological, they end up slapping God right in the face. Paul says it's, it's no compromise. It's both. It's God's glory And it's also speaking of God's unconditional love for people. It's all for your sake, in verse 15, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase to thanksgiving for the glory of God. So the top line, it's for you. It's for your good, the very best thing you could get. And for others, as more and more people, more and more people, and people, and people, and people. And some people right there just uh oh, just uh makes me uncomfortable. Are we going way over here to be a man sinner? No, you don't understand God. Fallen, despicable sinners receive grace. You're forgetting the point of grace for their greatest good. It will lead to the bottom line of God's glory. The top line, we get God. The bottom line, God is worshipped in all his glory as God. Paul wants the Corinthians to see. And God wants us to see that as we have received reconciliation with God through Christ, what he's accomplished, we should want that reconciliation to spread to others. If you really treasure and see him as glorious and understand he was sent to save and to reconcile and that then the Spirit was sent and then that Jesus and the Spirit have sent us, then it will lead to grace extending to more and more people, increasing thanksgiving. To who? To God, not to you. And then in turn, what happens? Giving glory to God. Our, our mission statement. We exist to all exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ. So, so that, there's, that, there's that idea. We're saying we want to exalt and experience the enjoyment of it. Not just exalt it and on a plaque up there. I want experience of that. I want to enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ. There's that 2 Corinthians 3.18. And beholding gazing, stare, entering into, staring at, being captivated, exalting, enjoying the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, in blessings, in beatings, in prosperity, in persecution, in health, in painful death, in celebrations, in cancer, through acceptance and afflictions, in living yet dying, sorrowful, Yet always rejoicing. So we're going to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Christ in all things. Tomorrow you get a job uh, boost and you, you get moved up and you get this a new position and a new salary. And two months later, a family member gets cancer. We're going to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Christ in all things. In all things. We're going to equip the saints to extend the gospel to all people. So the gospel transferring grace and peace and transforming people in areas by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. We do this for the greatest good that we could offer people. Reconciliation, a restored presence with God himself that leads to God being worshiped and treated in his highest glory. So the second thing we get there is we get God, he receives worship. And the last thing in verses 16 and 18 Paul says, based off of all of that, we do not lose heart because God is renewing all things. Look in verse 16. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. So first I want us to see that God is renewing us here as we live. So you've got to see that God is renewing us as we live in this life. This speaks of this life living on earth— Um, And and I want you to note something. This is God's intent. You are in a constant process of wasting away. Though our outer self is wasting away. No, I I don't want that. Paul's going, here's God's intent. Your outer self is going to be wasting away. Now, the good news is our inner self is being renewed day by day. We do not have to lose heart in this world. It it may be tempting, but we do not have to lose heart. Yes, we feel and see in our own lives decay and corruption having its effects, but we also should be seeing and experiencing renewal, which leads to worship. So you'd be a fool to say that you don't see that your life is wasting away. The people around you wasting away. Anyone see the news? Anyone listen to what's going on in our world lately? Um, for Paul, he was talking about, you know, personal life-threatening circumstances over and over, and we're going to see that in just a second. God reveals to us repeatedly, consistently like 500 warning signs each day that this world is broken. The results of the fall into sin has corrupted effects on all levels of our world and our experience. So for Paul, he's going through life-threatening circumstances. For us, probably, you know, your level of immersion and in information may be the worst suffering that you're going through. Your your level of immersion in, in information, so this is this information age, and those guys that said that uh, in you know the late 90s had no idea what kind of information that we were going to be exposed to, the, 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 the sheer um, volume of, of information that comes. So um, thankfully, we get to hear every level of brokenness and corruption instantaneously, right? So when someone's mobbed in Chicago, when there's a stabbing in New York of some small kid, when there's a tornado that rips through town and, and destroys 1,600 lives, and people are killed when there's um people just going in and and terrorizing places and people are being killed all those things a military move captured by a drone over the gobi desert we get to hear about all the bad news instantly and isn't it so helpful and so life-giving for you all of this stuff god just click oh oh just just click, click, swipe, swipe, swipe. I, I don't know why I'm depressed. I don't know why everyone's taking more pills for anxiety. And dep- I, don't, I don't know why I can't treat people right. I don't know why I can't communicate. I don't know. We lose heart. Maybe for you, that level of immersion in information. Paul, life-threatening circumstances. And he was seeing what happens in nation after nation, in each political system, each government, Think there's anyone still putting all their eggs in that basket? That may maybe our government and policy, they're the ones that's gonna save us. Any Christian nationalists in here? If we can we can get that government right, we'll 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 take them by force and we'll do it again. Let's all get hats. Is that gonna work? Is that gonna save anyone? How about other nations? How, how their, how's their diplomacy? How's their their stuff working out for them? Anyone putting your eggs in that basket? Really life-giving. They've, they've got things figured out, right? Got all the answers. Anyone um, heard about the new strain of disease that you need to be looking out for next? You thought that COVID was bad? Stay tuned. Think that would get some ads if I was wanting to market some stuff? You know what's next? Because what's behind the scenes? Ads. Algorithms, right? We're kind of learning that. These Facebook things. Oh, so, so they, 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 know, they know what I like to look at? They, they really know that? You're being played. Foolishly played by information. Anyone notice the patterns of weather? Whether they were always there or not, we just all know about it now, days beforehand. Like anyone, everyone see the weather channel? Oh my gosh. If there's anything that's sensationalized, like they, they, they just love it. Like, uh, we joke, uh, Travis Myers went to our sending church, um, new beginnings. And so, um, like there's times when I would just text Travis, like, because they, those guys get excited when there's tornadoes in there. Like, I mean, they just, it's exciting. They're all up there and like, Jerry, Jerry, where are you at? Jerry, can you, uh, Travis, I'm seeing some, I'm seeing some uh, flashing lights up ahead, and, and it's just like, you're like, Hey, that sounds like really bad for us. We're about to die, but you. You seem really excited at this point. And so are you in a bunker somewhere? Um, The weather channel. Anyone um, see that? You, You have seven days to prepare and fear and fear. Hide your kids, hide your wife before being destroyed. Fear what's about to sweep through and destroy everything that you've known about life. In seven days, this is coming through. Back to you, Katie. And they just do that. And you're like, man, just overload of information, overload of media. And they're asking you to subscribe to this, to pay for this. And many people just click on it and swipe it and stare at it hundreds of times per week, hundreds of times per day. There's just a new, I think it was Gallup or one of those that I just happened to see, a lot of pastors get it, and it's saying that 2,600 times a day, 2,500 times a day is how many times you touch your phone. You probably thought it was 40 or 100, right? 2,600 times per day. Just realize it's having a huge effect. In our day, that may be what's causing you to lose hope. Just the sheer information, the things that you're staring at. Anyone ready for a break from all the bad news? The, the economy, the corruption of political systems, the abuses inside churches, outside churches, the greed of life and corporate America, the main the, the pain of slowing, uh, slowly dying loved ones, the disasters and violence plaguing every day and every nation and every continent. And listen, it was by design. God said, you're going to be wasting away. It was by design. You can't keep from it. Now you, you can if you want to worry all the time and you know, make your, your priority dressing up the doll, dressing up the doll and doing all your Facebook thing and you know or whatever the little apps that you know beautify your face and then position that out. like you 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 can paint the doll you can you can dress up the doll if you want to expend all your energy and passion um, securing money for your retirement years and do it go do it um, there's no guarantee because I've seen retirement homes it ain't pretty uh, my neighborhood is full of people that retired early and at 58 they got to retire and guess what if you like being bent over dirt with flowers the rest of your life, if that's glory for you, then go after it. Work hard. Kill yourself 80 hours a week so you can go toil in dirt or pick up seashells or whatever it is for you. But there's a lie in the idea of our American retirement that that's when living will start because there's a thing called cancer and car wrecks and strokes and heart attacks. You have, you have no idea. When you begin to live for those things, so you're wasting away outwardly, but you better start thinking about renewal of the eternal. How much energy and time are you spending on this grace being poured out in your life, the grace going to others? What a temptation that we have to live for those things. Here's our problem. We're so distracted by the unending, limitless notifications and images of just trivial nothingness and bad news that we do lose heart, that we, all we can experience is our outer self-wasting away. We're so distracted by all the info that we neglect and are not in awe of the most important info that God sent Christ to reconcile and bring us back to him. And yet Paul says, we do not have to lose heart. Though all this world is decaying and wasting away, though our own bodies seem to be slowly dying off outwardly, our inner man is being renewed day by day, by day, by day, by day. So first God is renewing us in this place, and it may not feel like it. The the paradox that though we're wasting away, We're actually being renewed inwardly. And secondly, that God is renewing us for a future glory. Look in verse 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul, light momentary afflictions? Are you kidding me? Paul has already gave us some glimpses of some of the afflictions that he went through. And he's saying, you know, um, remember, I'm the one that says, like, when we get to heaven, I'm, I'm just telling you, do not go over sit down with Paul at the table, okay, and start going into, you know, a comparison game with Paul about what you suffered in this life, right? Um, so I'm just telling you, you, you know, wait 10 million years. You don't want to enter in that conversation. You'll, you'll look foolish. Uh, I'm already, I already know. Um, just the, I know what will happen. It's going to be like this, you know, beautiful scene, maybe some, the ocean there or whatever the new word for ocean, the, the heavenly type of ocean. And then here, here's Jesus and here's Paul. And they're going to be sitting on this bench and in this table, and the table's going to be set, and they're going to have just, it's going to be incredible wings, and it's incredible, um, French fries, like piled high, uh, no worry about cholesterol or any of those things. They've got root beer, so it's its beer, but it's made of roots, so it's plant-based for those people that make it in heaven. And so all the so this is my picture of heaven, and then I, I'm just walking by, I've got my tray, just like the cafeteria, you stay away from that table, don't go over there, and Paul, hey, 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 Sanky, hey, kind of sarcastically, he'll just be like, hey, Sank, uh, hey, Sit down over here. Tell us your story. your 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 uh, your suffering story. Go and tell us about hey, your dryer. Remember, so for ten days. Remember, our dryer's been out. It's been miserable. It's been H-E-double-L. You know, it's just been I mean, our dryer's been out, right? And, and so, say hey, thank you. <laughs> hey Jesus, uh, did your dryer ever go out? You're like you don't want to enter in those conversations with them, like your suffering uh, uh, versus Paul. You know, it's, it's the, the comedian that said, you know, don't walk in here uh, making jokes about your, your one wisdom two story because someone's always going to top it like, oh, you had one. That ain't nothing, right? And so I'm staying away from Paul and the table and him and Jesus because the, they, they didn't have drier problems, right? Um, Paul's not going to be a fun guy to play the comparison game. In Second Corinthians, the same uh, book in chapter 11, look, look what he has up here in um, 23 through 28. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman because he knows he's being, he's kind of being facetiously um, arrogant here. With, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, countless beatings. My dryer's broke. My tires were bald on a vehicle. Countless beatings. Often, he didn't say, and once I was near death often often near death what's our epidemic i'm not giving getting enough likes on instagram i'm not feeling loved on on my posts here's a new disorder in the dsm-4 for you not feeling enough love because you thought that people were going to make you feel real pretty or real important or real valuable Often near death. Five times I received at the hands of his own people, the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. So CBD, CBD, it's no new thing. And again, you don't want to talk to Paul about that up there, what you were doing. Three times I, I was shipwrecked. Three times. Shipwrecked. Anyone been on a plane before? It always occurs that you always, you know it's not going to happen. It's like 99.9999 that it's not. But it does hit your thoughts sometimes. If this goes down, this is really going to stink. Like I, I don't know if I've got the captain of this thing, like that guy in New York that you know landed in the water, like this guy doesn't look like this. He looks kind of young. I don't know if he could land us in water safely. And this person up here, I don't think they should be on the aisle seat. So you just go through that little thought. Five times he's, he's shipwrecked. A night and a day, I was adrift at sea. Can you imagine? I mean, would you not be just asking like, God, are you kidding me? I'm trying to get the gospel. We left here with the point of getting the gospel to these people, and I'm shipwrecked a third time? What is going on? A night and a day, adrift at sea. Anyone been in the ocean after like midnight? We used to have this thing where we would do it just for the thrill of just like you would go and uh, go out like neck deep, stand out in the oceans when it's dark, like at night, like 11 o'clock. It's just kind of a creepy, dark feeling. So I get chills and think about it. So we used to do it. I was in my 20s at 48 49 like there's no way now i saw the you know the dude perfect thing when they're fishing for those sharks 40 feet out there and and there is a lot more after 6 p.m right and so now when our boys are out there i just don't tell them for a while i'm just like i don't think there's any and so when it gets starts getting darker and there's just you notice there's no people out there a day and a night floating on the deep ocean are you kidding me god What have I done? What have I done wrong? Is this sin in my life? Do you see what we go through? Do you see what we start questioning? And I do that over a dryer being out. And Paul's listing these things that he's went through. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. You have no idea. He's been speaking about weighty glory the old covenant and its glory fading out and the surpassing glory of the new covenant in Christ's luminous glory. And Paul says, anything that we go through here as followers of Christ, walking in obedience with him is preparing, it is, is achieving for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. If you look at the world and the things that you're going through, you may be thinking, this is just crazy. Why Am I going through this? Why is this happening? So you are wasting away. The people around you are wasting away. But Paul evaluates these afflictions through the new lens, his identification with Christ. There's an overwhelming eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison that outweighs, it overcomes all the afflictions that he's going through. So living here, sitting for hours upon hours upon hours in cancer wards i remember um i had i got a slide um um sitting and so i remember the first time we went and sat and that picture on the left is my mom sitting there the first treatment and going "Man, we got four hours of this ah, that's pretty selfish That must really suck for her next time and we got four or five hours so much i could be doing that's really selfish. When you're sitting watching someone as they're pumping chemicals and radiation and poison into their body, man, it seems clear we're wasting away. You can't do a thing about it. You are not God. You are powerless. And even their greatest help may not help you at all. Days and days turn into weeks and weeks, months and months. It does not seem like momentary at the time. The picture on the right, towards the end, and we she had just said she just wants to go and see this outside picture, and you can see our, our boys. Uh, you can't see on the picture that their, their faces. They, they they don't know what to do. They're just it's just this awkward look. Like I mean, just standing there. What do you do? Like. I, we don't know. We've read things since then where they've, like, we've read some things and we've talked about that, like they were little. We wanted them to see that because we wanted them to know that you aren't created for this place. We wanted them to know that death is a part of that. And so some people go, oh, no, we don't want kids to see that up to a certain age or whatever. So, like, we, we're we just going to have thousands of conversations about that. In light of a new Aeon, God's eternal rest with him. Truth overrides feelings of deep emotions, even some of the deepest, most heartfelt emotions. Some of the deepest things we may feel, truth wins out over broken emotions and it produces, truth produces a new, better emotion, feelings of gratefulness. Feelings of eternal thankfulness, depths of appreciation we cannot fathom, where Paul says it's achieving for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This eternal perspective is going to make us see these truly were momentary afflictions. Watching family members get to the end of their life and, and their bodies breaking down, their mind breaking down, seeing that. It's hard to watch, but it's coming for you. You're not going to be able to run enough, to jog enough, to to eat healthy enough to keep it from happening. Your bodies are wasting away. In your 20s, it seems like it's forever. Yesterday was my birthday. And so um, I remember being 28, and everyone's kind of, you know, like, oh, 28, you know. And, And I remember, and it hit me, 12 years from 40, oh, my gosh, 40 is a casket. Oh, my gosh, Oh, 12 years from 40. Hello. It's 11 years away from 60 now. That 12 years from 40 took about two seconds. 40 came and went, and I was going 85 miles an hour. 49, 11 years from 60. When you're watching people around you, it's wasting away. You weren't meant to stay here this whole time. That's what this chapter 5 gets into. We can't lose heart. Are you doing the things to where your inner soul, your inner man is being renewed day by day? Number your days. Think through the glory of God. Are you beholding and being transformed? Are you more in love with Christ now than you were back in January and February? Are you growing? Or if you're having difficulty, are you aware of that and letting people speak into your life when we go through these horrible Painful trials. We do not have to lose heart. We don't have to. That It's going to be all taken care of. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's letter to the Romans, in closing his last thing that he would say on this matter, um, not last thing in Romans, but in Romans 8, After going through some beautiful things at the end of Romans 8 there, he says, can't find it. Who is to get in? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So he's talking about this, this idea of salvation that no one can take away what Christ has done and established for those. And then in verse 35, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I pray that you would take that this week. You may be facing things in your life now just asking, what is going on? Not shipwrecked, haven't been beaten five times, not going through the same things that Paul went through, but God placed you here. God placed you in this time. Some of the things that we deal with are different. But you still need the same God. You still need the same God to lean on to, to cry out to to trust in, to put your hope in. Paul says, that's why I put my hope in the resurrected body, that he is going to raise us up with him. He's going to be the focal point. So our trust and hope is in the resurrection, our resurrected life with Christ, in that we get the greatest treasure, God himself, and God's going to get eternal worship and glory that starts here in the middle of the things that we're facing And we do not lose heart because God is renewing all things. So wherever you're at this week, I pray that you'd begin to think through that, what you're facing, that exalting and enjoying Jesus Christ, the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. What's the in all things for you? Take some time, I pray, and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper.